Welcome to I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast sponsored by Catera.com and the Savoy Educational Trust and hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're talking about culture and joining me to chat through this amazing topic, we have Libby Mia, AIH, Alan Tang, MIH and Zoe Watts, FIH. Big thanks to all three of them for giving up their time and opinion. So to find out the pros, the cons and everything in between of this vast subject, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the next episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH, and sponsored by thecaterer.com and the Savoy Educational Trust. I'm delighted to once again welcome three brilliant people from within the IOH membership who have all very kindly given up their time to have this chat with us today. So, first up from within the fellowship, we have Zoe Watts. Zoe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be How here. How are you? Yeah, really good. Very good. I'm very excited to be joining this conversation. Yeah, and we should have met each other already, but I've been so slack at getting to the um, the IOH committee meetings for London. Um, but uh, I will. I will. 2023 will be a different year on that front. Yeah, well, so so far so good. Obviously, the London committee has just got going again, so we've got some really exciting stuff planned. And uh, yeah, you were missed. I can say you were definitely missed at the last oh, meeting. Bless. <laughs> bless. Well, I shall bring the full force of me to the the future meetings, and uh, and yeah, look forward to to seeing what we can get up to next year. Yeah, likewise. Uh, what is it that you do, Zoe? What are you what you got your head in these days? So um, I'm business development director for Bennett Hay. We're a food service contract caterer. We're based in London. So we look after 30 clients around London, looking after predominantly workplace dining. So workplace dining, hospitality and events. Yeah, great. Well, I, I, you're, you're very, very welcome. And thank you very much for, for giving up your time to, to chat today. Next up from within the MIH ranks, we have Alan Tang. Alan, welcome to another podcast. Thank you for having me, Phil. Uh, yes, I'm. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yes, very good indeed. Uh, for context, Alan and I recorded uh, a, a live podcast at uh, Passion for Hospitality just a few weeks ago uh, from when we we're recording this. So it, it seems that that's we only ever meet each other doing podcasts or at networking events. <laughs> yes. All through the IOH, I have to say. How's uh, how's life at Shangri La? Yeah, life is going well. We're constantly busy um, for all meal periods. Um, so I'm the restaurant director of Ting. We serve breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea and dinner in the lounge and the restaurant. It's one of the highest occupancy hotels in London, the tallest building in Western Europe. So you can imagine lots of uh, footfall coming through. And um, we're really excited to have the festive decorations and entertainment now. And yeah, look forward to the special dates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's such a destination for special dates. I mean, you know, it's is there a better venue in London? Um, I mean, you're not going to say yes, are you? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's spectacular. If if people haven't been there, I, I would absolutely encourage them just to go and and check it out and and take in some of your excellent food. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and then finally, from our AIH ranks, we have Libby Mia. How are you, Libby? Hi, Phil. Thanks for inviting me. I invited you back. <laughs> you obviously did a, a good job the first time round, eh? Oh, yeah, you think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you anyway? How, what's, what's new in your world? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I'm on a new avenue in hospitality now, so I'm moving away from 
sort of hotel operations and events and into sales and accounts. So I'm working for um, a technological development company that does all the innovative solutions for um, hospitality. So on a new adventure, really. Fantastic. Well, I mean, that's the, the joy of the industry, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you know, there, there's so many different facets and arms to it that uh, you, you might not be on the career path that you initially set out on. But this is the thing. Opportunity just presents itself as you kind of get moving in your career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think when I was in operations, there was times when I was struggling and I look back now and in the role I'm in, I'm providing those solutions. So I'm like, oh, I've been there. I've done yeah. it. I know how you feel. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's nice yeah. to be, you know, relatable throughout the current hospitality. There's so many avenues, like you said. Yeah. yeah, totally. And in the world of sales as well, like it's very useful to have been on the other side. You oh. kind of totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Like you get the issues that you're dealing with. So yeah, I, I can feel the frustrations and the, and the yeah, everything. It's good. Yeah. Well, you're all very, very welcome. And, I, and once again, I thank you all for, for giving up your time to chat. Uh, I'm going to come back to you now, Zoe, and just ask you a very simple question. Why did you say I'm in to the Institute of Hospitality? Oh, goodness, lots of reasons. My career in hospitality spans many years. Um, uh, I'm not going to uh, say how far back it goes, but... Um, I love how you said that with a little chuckle. Oh, as goodness, well. many yeah. Years. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did a degree in, um, well, then it was uh, food and accommodation management. I'm not sure that title of degree even exists anymore, but, you know, many moons ago. And it's really interesting what Libby just said, just hearing about her transition from operations into sales because my career path has kind of gone that that same route and totally you know wasn't planned at all but my background in operations I'll go back to when I was managing catering and events in museums and galleries and and basically in the in the heritage sector so Mm. I worked for Tate for many years and I was in operations running events for Tate across all of their four galleries in the UK and really, it was the point I had my children and I thought, I just can't be carrying trestle tables around at you know two in the morning anymore. <laughs> and then I moved to a client role at the Natural History Museum where I was overseeing the sale of the venue and the catering contract. And I kind of, it was kind of at that point I moved into sales and there was no, you know, it was never sort of the plan. It just happened. Mm. And then from there, I've moved into BNI sector and contract catering. But The reason I said I'm in is just because hospitality has just given me so much, so many fantastic experiences from what I've witnessed at events to, you know, tasting some of the best food to meeting the most amazing, fun people. And just having that career progression that I I don't think people quite realise is there and having those opportunities it's just fun and and it's hard work. But then what career isn't hard work, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the reputation for hospitality, sometimes it precedes us, but, you know, it's it's such a different world to the one people anticipate. And then in um, the IOH more recently, I've joined the London Committee and I just felt that, you know, contract catering is a big part of our industry. Uh, it's a really important sector and it brings so many other different career opportunities. And I thought it'd be good to have a representative from our sector on the board, on the committee. So that's yeah. why I'm in. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's such a key point, actually, as well as in terms of that feels like that's something that the IOH is getting better at. I think historically, I've always been pretty much a hotel guy and I think it's always really looked after hotels very, very well. 
but actually now to see it really start to think, okay, right, where are the gaps? Because there's so many, as we said earlier on, so many parts to this industry. Let's get them all heard. Let's get everybody a, a seat at the table and let's let's come together and share all of this wonderful knowledge that we all have from our different spaces. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I know when colleagues join us from other sectors, they bring such fantastic experience. You know, we run also run reception contracts in our business. And when we welcome people from the hotel background, they bring a whole different outlook with them, which is really good. And it would be, you know, I, I love seeing that movement across our whole industry where we're transferring skills from one sector to a to another and just making sure best practice happens across the entire industry. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to, to share some knowledge with each other on the committee next year. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alan, same question to you. Why did you say I'm into the Institute of Hospitality? Um, so I've been working in hospitality from a very young age. Uh, my parents have catering business and I just really enjoyed meeting different people from different countries, learning different languages, trying different uh, restaurants. And um, it's quite a rewarding industry as well. So um, I actually attended two of the Institute of Hospitality events before I became a member. Right. The first one was in July, the annual dinner uh, and awards, and then the fellows dinner in October this year. Well, you like a dinner, eh? Yeah, <laughs> I was invited by um, uh, Marco, who's on the youth council. He works with me as a restaurant manager at Shangri-La. And yeah. I really love that the Institute is promoting hospitality as the number one career choice. In my family, who are from Hong Kong, they, the choice was when I was growing up is you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. It was never, you can work in a restaurant. It, they looked down at people in the industry. And then when I worked right. my way up, to a five-star luxury hotel, global brand, they started to see that actually there is a future in hospitality. So I thought that I wanted to be part of promoting it with the industry. Um, also, I like that they accelerate diversity, inclusion and equality. Um, when I attended the events, I saw how diverse it was and um, not just race, but different age ranges, uh, people from different countries. So I really love to network with different people from different events yeah great stuff and uh, they may have looked down on you earlier in your career but now everybody looks up to you because you're in the <laughs> highest venue in the whole of western europe that's right <laughs> yeah. and you've got a wonderful career as well thank you let's be let's be very clear about that um no that's great thanks so much alan and then uh, yeah back over to you libby why did you say oh, well that you said before and i probably should have done some research on what you said before so i could test you on it <laughs> But actually, as you stand now, why did you say I'm into the IOH? You know, I, I don't think it's changed, actually. And I think, especially with what Alan said about him not realising or no one felt like it was a career for him. I was always in hospitality. And, you know, whether it was a, a catering company when I was 16 with my neighbour and then I went to university and I worked for a, a, an amazing job. I was a mascot cat for the radio station running around the city centre doing all their public events and it was that point and I was like I love this like I love I love being with people and I didn't see it as a career either until you get you know you get that love for it you get roped in and then there's so mm. many opportunities and it wasn't until lockdown when it really hit me when I was put on furlough and I was like oh my god I'm not I'm not out anymore you know I'm not doing what I love and what was natural every day that was like my get up you know um, yeah. so that's when I joined the IOH because I wanted to be part of the industry when I couldn't physically be 
there anymore. So I joined in the middle of lockdown. Um, so it was all virtual at the time. We didn't have any of the big events that I was craving, but we had, you know, I joined the London committee as their secretary. So we we're getting involved with their like virtual events and campaigns and got involved in different ways. And that's kind of, I don't know whether it's the same as what I said last time. I hope it is because it's genuine. <laughs> yeah. But, um, that to me was why I said I'm in. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, that it doesn't really matter if you said the same thing or not, because, you know, the important thing is, is that, you know, there was something that that you felt felt a connection to and it sounds like at the time that you were in as well that it was you know it was almost an essential part of your life you know to to help you you maintain that connection to the industry that you that we all kind of lost a little bit especially you know if you're a people person which you definitely sound like you are like if it sounds if you're you're definitely (laughs) yeah if you're out and about in a cat's cat's costume then um you know and loving it uh, around be, being around people then you're definitely a people person but yeah um, no that's awesome great stuff well thank you so much for that guys we're gonna now move on to the uh, the topic of the day which is one of my favorite subjects in the whole of the world and i you know we've got a 45 ish minute podcast to do this and to be honest i could probably talk about this for 45 days so i'm gonna do my best to shut up for as long as i can as we're talking about this but we're talking about culture now it's a it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. I think a lot of people are talking about culture, and I'm going to open up today with a, a quote which I heard, which I thought was quite cool. Uh, you have to maintain a culture of transformation, and stay true to your values. And that's from Jeffrey Weiner, who once upon a time was the CEO of LinkedIn. I think everybody in the world knows what LinkedIn is these days. But I think in in order to kind of move forward with this subject, I think it's probably important for us to try and define it in some way as in what what is culture and I'm going to come back to you Zoe as the as the senior one amongst us you said yourself you've worked in the industry for a couple <laughs> of years now so how would you define culture uh, because it is a word that gets used a lot but what does that look like to you mm. to me um, culture is something that isn't particularly tangible and it's it's asking people the question how does it feel to work here And I think that's the thing, isn't it? We can all talk about benefits, the working environment, but actually culture to me is when you're all living and breathing the same values and it just feels good. You know, having a good culture, you've got a team of people working in the same, towards the same goal, enjoy each other's company and want to come to work. And that shows, you know, I think the difference um, when you walk into a hospitality environment, when, you know, you work in some, you walk in somewhere that's got a good culture, it's, well, I just said it's not tangible, but then it is tangible. You know, you can tell people that enjoy working for that company, whether it's at site level, hopefully it's at company level, but yeah, it's about how they feel. How does it make someone feel? Yeah, I, no, I like that. I think that's it's a great way of summing up. Alan, what are your your thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think culture is all about how you feel, and an environment could be either very positive or could be toxic. It's usually shaped through the leadership of the company, and I think the leadership um, of the company is depending on their own upbringing and their own experiences. Perhaps they. Um, yeah, I think culture is ideas, the social behavior of people or the society. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, around. I've never really thought about it that way. But actually, 
somebody's own lived experience really defines what they're like as a well one as a human but two as a as a leader i guess yeah i think that if a leader is being autocratic there might be the way that they learn from their previous boss so there's different perspectives in cultures so there's not really a right or wrong um, i don't believe in cancel culture if there's always going to be um, individuals that don't agree with each other's upbringing or perspectives but um, I think having a good culture is appreciating each other and having more awareness of how other people behave. Yeah totally I think that that then leads to actually the point you make there about cancel culture as an example that generally happens when you know someone says something or does something that the vast majority of people completely disagree with but actually what we need to become better at is debating it's not about right and wrong actually it's just about being able to respect each other enough to listen to both sides of the argument libby what are your what are your thoughts on on how would you define culture i think you've all summarized it absolutely perfectly i think to me it's people driven i think it's not those words on a wall of we are this and we are that i think it's the feeling and to me personally i've the when i've felt that good culture it's when i feel a sense of belonging and I feel like I'm welcome there and part of it, as opposed to, you know, just working there as a job or, you know, just being there in spirit. You know, it's actually being part of something and belonging there. Because to me, I think culture is, it is a feeling. It's its really not just a bunch of words that we, are, you know, live by in a Bible. It's its a feeling. And you can't, yeah. you can't force it. You know, it's very much tailored to your emotions. Yeah, and I, I suppose in that, if if that's what a good culture looks like, then you know the the major benefit of coming into work and feeling like you belong and feeling like you're happy there, and all of the the that, you know, the, I suppose the fluffy things, if you want to call it that, uh, I just called it that, <laughs> is that people then have probably got an opportunity to, or have a greater opportunity at least to do their best work. Yeah. They're not getting in the way of, or the business is not getting in the way, or the culture is not getting in the way of sapping the energy out of somebody. You know, they're actually here and they can get on and do the job that they're there to do. Yeah. Phil, I think um, I totally agree with Libby. You just said, you know, a culture isn't forced. And I think that nails it, really. You know, when you look at successful businesses, they're the ones that engender friendships. And I don't mean that you go to work to meet your whole bunch of friends and you're out every night. But I know from, you know, throughout my career, my, my best friends that I have out of work now are those that I've met at work. And it's been in those businesses where there's been a fantastic culture that has cultivated those friendships and it hasn't been forced. And it's the same in the way that you choose your friends. It's never forced, is it? It's just that you're like-minded people, you enjoy each other's company. And I think any business that doesn't force it, and like you say, doesn't stick the, you know, a heap of values on the wall and just expects everyone to memorize those that's our values this is you know it's the companies that live and breathe it and it's not forced that's the you know that's the key issue yeah so in addition then to like if you you don't want to force this thing to come into life but what steps can we take to ensure that we we are operating a, a good culture so that people can come to work and do their best work and feel valued and feel like they're part of something. I think 
culture, it, it does stem from the top. I think those who are leading the business, if they absolutely are committed to the culture and they genuinely believe in looking after their people and the way they behave and, you know, the way they treat people is very, very genuine and very obvious, then that will naturally rub off on all those report, you know, who were working for them. I think it was interesting. I was talking to Claire, our HR and wellbeing director earlier, and we were talking about recruitment and it's about, you know, bringing like-minded people into your fold. And we sort of had that question, is it nature or nurture? You know, do we look for people that, you know, display those display signs of our culture? Or is there a point that, you know, if we can see that there's the passion for hospitality there, that they have a people first approach, we can definitely nurture the, the rest. But I think it's a mix, really. It's, for me, have, you know, establishing the culture, it, it's got to be, it's got to be led so people follow. And then it's about just having the right people, the like-minded people. And, you know, if, if someone doesn't necessarily fit, how can we, how can we bring them on board so that we are, you know, so that this culture is maintained? Yeah, absolutely. Libby, has is, is is your moment of genius returned? <laughs> um, no, I, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, Zoe. I think it is down to that recruitment process of actually finding out what someone's like on the inside and knowing you know that they are good at heart and you can and you like you said you can train and you can nurture them in the role and I think that's where it begins and like I said earlier it's people driven so if you begin with the wrong people it's not going to drive the culture that you want to drive and I think it's very natural and if if they feel that they belong and they and they feel that sense of of welcome that's when I think the magic happens in culture because it's it's natural. And like we said yeah. earlier, it's not words on a wall saying you need to be passionate. Because if someone said to me that I need to be passionate, I, I would just switch straight off and I wouldn't be passionate. <laughs> I yeah. think whereas if they gave me that reason and, and they made me feel like I was part of the bigger picture, I would be passionate because it would come naturally. <laughs> and I think a good example is, you know, often across our hospitality businesses, we we get applications from friends of our existing colleagues. You know, the word of mouth has spread that it's a good company to work for. And I think any company that has um, a fantastic culture in place, you, it's pretty obvious from um, the interest in working for that business. And it's not necessarily to do with pay or benefits. It's about, you know, um, someone has said to another person, you know, I really like going to work. It's really good fun. I'm treated well. It's a really good vibe. You know, it's a good social life. I know what's happening in the business. So I think companies that I know we all have recruitment issues at the moment, but those that really are attracting um, like minded people, there's, they're obviously doing something right there. Yeah, totally. I think it's it all begins with the message you you send out into the world. Right. I mean, that's actually where your culture starts is the first time somebody sends their cv to you or reads a job advert that you're running or speaks to the recruiter that that's handling that vacancy or, or whatever however that process happens that's all part of your culture it's all part of the the message that you want to send about what you're like as a place to come and work and then when people have I suppose sifted through that you you're you hope that you're then left with the people that really get that like as a natural part of their makeup so that they're naturally drawn to you. And then the people that they operate within are naturally drawn to that as well. And so on and so forth. And it builds out from, from there, but it all starts funnily enough at the beginning. 
of of the of the recruitment process i'd say you know what phil you're you're absolutely right and you've just made me it realize that's sometimes. exactly what sometimes. has happened to me <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened to me where in in the role i'm currently in i met my manager a year ago at the hospace convention last november and yeah. we kept in contact and he was he was incredible he was so he was so polite he was so interested in what I'd said because I was I was on stage and he really engaged with me and, and we kept in contact very briefly on LinkedIn. And when the opportunity came up to work there, I knew it was a great company because of how he was when I met him. Mm. And I think if I'd have met that company on LinkedIn, on um, Indeed, just as a brand, I probably wouldn't have, have thought twice or got that connection. Yeah, yeah. And I immediately thought, oh, I, I know this. And I, I, I felt you know, very welcome in his company. And we've kept in touch very briefly, but I knew that this was, you know, it, it felt, again, it's, it's a feeling, isn't it? It felt good. And you yeah. don't get that just from an advert. So those, you're right, it does start way before you actually join the company. It really does. Yeah, I really love that story, Libby. That's brilliant. I mean, that's just, that's demonstrating the power of your know, authenticity, really, I suppose, ultimately, because all you've done is, basically stopped another chat with somebody, but you've felt some kind of a connection. And that's then now led, and it, you know, granted this one took a, a year or so to happen. It could take 10 years to happen before the right thing. But you sow the seeds with people and people generally then remind, you know, if you the next time you're looking for a job and somebody's looked after you in that process, and you think, oh, I wonder what they're doing and I wonder if they're looking for someone at this time. That's ultimately how, you know, it's, it's just, networking really isn't it to get you interested in wanting to go and work for particular brands and companies it really is yeah because it's it's people it's people pushed you know it's it's people driven and and it comes from that nat like we said it's that natural process so it, it's not just when you're at work you're this kind of person it's when you also go home or when you're at a networking event as yourself you know you're not representing a brand as such all the time but you're still portraying the culture then when you talk about it and you talk about where you work you're like oh I know someone that works there they're really nice like you know you can you can relate to it and you can feel the, the sense of their culture already yeah brilliant Alan anything to add to to what we've said um, I think it was Zoe earlier who said that it's not about pay and benefits and I totally agree with that an example during this period there has been so many competitors coming to, uh, trying to recruit our team members and offering more money, high positions. And they actually, the team members came back to me and said, actually, I'm really happy working with you because the management, I really genuinely care about our well-being, uh, our motivational needs. Everyone's motivated differently. And it's all about understanding what everyone needs from the business. They felt involved and they felt that um, they were listened to. And yeah, they said it wasn't about money and it wasn't about title. Um, it's all about enjoying where you work. And if you enjoy where you work, it won't feel like work and you can work your way up. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to the, the, the point, I suppose, around giving you the framework to do your best work. And then ultimately, the money is going to come anyway, because you're going to climb the ranks and so on and so forth. So yeah, and, and ultimately pay and benefits are... I mean, the, the, what was I remember reading somewhere, or was it a webinar once upon a time I watched, but somebody made the point, and I thought this was absolutely right and relevant, that we've, we've got to stop talking about providing uniform and meals on duty as a benefit. You know, it, like this should be 
This is norm. just part of your job. That you know, that that's a natural. That's a given. That's not even a, an added bonus. That's just something that happens. And it's the same with the with pay and benefits. That's just you're always going to have some degree of pay and benefits. That's not the thing that's going to define why or you get on or don't get on in a culture. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's um, yeah, what you said. Yeah, yeah um, God, it's I'm true. On, I'm I think. Fire today. Well, I think. Um, <laughs> We all know that, you know, the different Gen Zs and so on are looking for, you know, they're not looking for the same things that we were looking for in our careers 20 years ago, where pay and benefits were up there, you know, at the top. I'm not saying it's not important, but we know that younger generations are looking for more of an experience from their work. And it is about the culture, the friendships, career progression and so on. So, you know, we absolutely have to make sure our culture is spot on um, if we're going to attract these people. Absolutely. And then even within that, because I, I'm always conscious around pigeonholing age group categories into one package, you know, within all of that, there's so many different individual circumstances. And that's why you've kind of got to get your message spot on, isn't it? Because in amongst the 100 applications, you might get all from the same generation or age group or whatever. Within that, let's say 50% of those are, are really going to get it and 50% are not. And I, I don't know those numbers. I'm just making them up, but it's just to kind of create the point that you've, you, you've kind of got to go to the nth degree to really nail your own message and nail your own, you know, authentic values from a, a business standpoint. And then the people will, will naturally, you know, you're not going to get it right hundred percent of the time, but they'll naturally, you should end up with the, the, the team that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. There we are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well where, where should we go next? Where should we go next? Right. Well, we, we've spoken about some of the benefits. Let's talk about the risks. What are the major risks to a business if they don't focus a little bit on ensuring that they've got their culture right? I think it's almost opposite of what we just discussed. I think that um, the risk would be um, there'll be a high employee turnover. If you don't look after the team's well-being, uh, they're probably going to leave. And it will have a ripple effect. When you lose talented workers, that might be a co-worker's close friend or someone that they like working with, and they usually start looking at that person who left, why are they leaving, what else is out there? And then it has a ripple effect. So then you increase costs of recruitment, retraining, and then, yeah, that's kind of what I think the most risky part is. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Alan. I think it's very easy for things like that to become quite contagious. You know, once it starts to rot the culture, I think it, it, it becomes, it, it scatters across other people. Like you said, people are curious. You know, why, why are they so angry? Why are they, why are they leaving on such bad terms? And I think what interests me um, quite recently was the big phenomenon of that quiet quitting I don't know whether any of you have heard about that, but it's when no, people no, no, enlighten. So, so it's 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 that moment when people sort of they lose their interest and they're not necessarily going to leave, but they just don't want to go above and beyond anymore, and they become a bit stagnant and they just quietly quit. <laughs> and right. I think that that's quite yeah. And I think especially mm. since the pandemic, you know, there's, there's those there's like two groups. You know, there's those that do just think you know what I'm going to do the, the great resignation I'm going to leave and I'm going to go and explore the world and not going to lie I've I've I'm faulty of that but there's also those that are quite more into the quiet quitting where they stay low they don't say anything they don't you know they don't call out for help or ask for improvements they just lose interest 
and that's a massive yeah, shame yeah. because um, it's very it. easy yeah. especially in hospitality I've, you know I've, I can relate to those in operations I've seen it where people have been that exhausted from being overworked and burnt out and they do nothing about it and it just gets worse and worse and worse and it's it's inevitable then that they're going to leave and it's such a shame because we should be giving a culture where you can foster that help give people you know the actual support they need so they don't become quiet quitters yeah Phil my take on that question Mm. if I can sort of look at it from a a sales perspective and also a a sort of building of partnerships you know our business is looking after and partnering with some of London's biggest law firms property companies financial organizations all of whom very good plug Zoe very good plug And totally not deliberate. No, 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 no. (laughs) But my point, other than the plug, is that, you know, all of those organisations have really strong cultures. They've got their own cultures. And it's absolutely fascinating being privy to, you know, other organisations' cultures because we we work within their buildings, obviously. So we're absolutely, you know, we're witnessing Culture in a culture. Uh, Yeah, we are. So... Yeah. And I think, you know, when we're when we're looking to work with these organizations, they are also looking for companies who haven't necessarily not um that our culture is totally aligned to theirs. They're in, you know, different industries, but they're also looking for companies who can really evidence a really strong culture that they're confident in who they are, that every you could ask any colleague and they would, you know, give the same response. And we have had it where potential clients have said, actually, do you know what? We don't want the senior team or the sales team presenting. We want your day-to-day operators presenting because actually we want to hear it, you know, straight from them, what your culture is yeah. like. And and that's why I think it's so important. And I think the reason that, you know, these partnerships work is because we do have this strong culture or not necessarily us but any company you know where partnerships work well it's because there is that confidence and there is that unique culture and having that confidence that sort of parallels um, your clients you know strength of culture and in having that you do understand what you're looking for as well in a, in a partner organization because sometimes we've we've turned down business if we if we're not sure about a company's culture or there's something that just doesn't feel quite right or the way we've been treated you know in the sales process so i think you know the risks are when you look at sort of partnerships that you build yeah totally and do you know the the thing about that's actually a really great sidebar if you like to what we're talking about in the sense that it's when we're talking about business this is exactly the same in recruitment as well when you know you 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 want to work with the people that you genuinely get and you get on with yeah i don't want to work with the you know uh, for want of a better phrase the assholes mm. you know it i've always come from the school of business whereby everybody who's at that table making a deal happen walks away happy equally not you know one side has 70% of the happiness and the other side has 30 so then why don't we have the same mentality when it comes to how we put you know how we expect our teams to come into work you know they're basically trading their time for money at the place that we ask them to come and work that's a very simplified way Mm -hmm. of putting it but you know so everybody in that deal in inverted commas should be walking away happy you know and that's the place where sparks fly and that's the place where you get longevity in relationship and therefore in business and therefore you know, your business is more settled and then 
so on and so forth, you, you, you become a better business, perhaps a bigger business, you take on more people, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So it's, um, yeah, the, the counter to that is, is if, if you don't do all that, then you're basically firefighting the whole time. And you're, you're trying to put out these little fires everywhere in order to try and get some semblance of stability. Yeah. God, really, just going for it today, aren't we? You're on fire. I'm a bit speechless yeah. from that, Phil. It was quite deep. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna put a to TED say. Talk together or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so here's an interesting question then to, to ponder, and I don't know if this is relevant to, to any of you, but I've always kind of wondered as well as this is obviously we're talking, I'm certainly talking about this as from a, from a UK perspective, but do we think that having a good culture is a one size fits all or, or does it change geographically dependent on the culture of the country that, or the territory that you're operating in? Absolutely. I mean, this, this could be I a think, hypothetical of course, but. I think, I think it's very hard to, to answer that, but I think, it's personal culture so it's on each individual level and Anna made a very good point earlier about how everyone wants different things it's not just a salary package or you know one in a free gym membership it's personal to each person like I said I I need a culture where I feel like I belong and I don't need a gym membership because that wouldn't make a difference to me so I think geographically absolutely but all the way down to the individual if anyone wants to add to that from the, from a geographical perspective but I personally think it's completely individual. Yeah, I think um, fundamentally it goes back to the first thing you asked us, you know, what is a good culture? And we all kind of agreed it was about how people make you feel, how you feel about coming to work. And I think, you know, that I don't think that changes where in the world you are. We all want to feel like we belong and we all want to have that lovely, warm feeling we get, you know, from a company that looks after us, respects us and has sort of good plans for our future and, and sort of thinks um, in long terms about our employment with them. Yeah. Alan, anything to, to add into that? Yes, I agree. I also think that it does change geographically. There is not one size fits all. I think this is the only instance where you should treat people how you wish to be treated, but not in this case. I think it needs you need to tailor your approach to individual needs. For example, if someone from UK went to China, they might find that the culture there is a bit straight to the point. So I'm dual nationality, right, yeah. I'm British and Chinese. And I know that some things that they do in Hong Kong, um, it's hard to explain. They, they're more straight to the point and more, we don't show affection and we don't show emotion as much as they would in Italy or in Spain or in UK. So the culture is completely different feeling in different countries, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I suppose that then the, you know, the question is, is if you are moving countries and you're going to a different territory to, to work, is that you obviously then have to come to, to that from a position of respect out of their culture and what their expectation is. But I suppose then that comes back down to the fact that that might not be for everyone and therefore... You know, you go to wherever it is that you go, where you, as an individual, resonate with the culture of that organization slash territory that you're in. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few more questions before I, I, I let you get on. Is it always the company's responsibility to uphold a good culture? Or should we be, I suppose, putting more at the feet of the individual to take responsibility for that as well? 
Um, oh, that's a really, really good question. Um, Sometimes I, uh, I do ask them. <laughs> hey, you're on fire today. Yeah, I've got to do more podcasts at five o'clock at night. Uh, it seems that that's uh, um, yeah, definitely better than in the morning. But anyway, I think ultimately it's it's the organisation's responsibility to to be that leader and lead by an example and and push a night the culture that they they want you know and what's right for the staff. But at the same time, it is individual. You know, I if I worked for a company and I went in and and you know really messed about and and caused a big a big issue i think that that is my fault you know i'm not upholding what what i should be doing to represent my company so i think it's, it's actually a really hard question but i think it, it becomes to both i think we should be leading by example but we should all be respectful of each other and if things aren't going our way that the whole culture should be to discuss that and to make those improvements and be open and honest you know if there's things that yeah. I was unhappy about the culture should then foster that environment where you can talk about it and make improvements and I think that's when it's more of a mutual respect as opposed to one or the other's responsibility mm. yeah absolutely Zoe anything to, to add into that yeah I think ultimately if we're always going to have you know occasional individual within our business who just isn't sort of fulfilling the culture that we are aiming for but ultimately I think if there if you have a situation where you're, you know, a business has quite a few people within the, the company who just aren't following it, aren't getting it, aren't living and breathing that culture, then clearly there's an issue in that, that, that culture that everyone's talking about is, it's just, it might be there on paper, but it's not being, you know, it's not coming through in practice. And I think, you know, it clearly would identify that there really is an issue. I think it's everyone's role to fulfill it, but they have to be given the tools and they have to be you know have the examples to to follow it and to sign up to yeah. it and to absolutely no not not just you know they've got to want it they've got to want to be part of that culture and that has to come from the top yeah and i suppose equally that it has to come from the individual as well that, that yeah. you know if you're if you're not feeling it yeah then either put your hand up and say that or it's not the place for you absolutely yeah uh alan anything any thoughts on that yeah, I think everyone should take ownership. Um, I think the company should raise awareness. Equally, I think the individuals should practice it. And if you see someone who might not be behaving in a way that affects the company culture, they should definitely say something. If you don't say anything, that could happen to someone else. And that's how it becomes a toxic environment. You need to address bad company culture when you see the signs and... You, you might think that I can put up with it, but someone else might be affected by it, who, who's not able to uh, stand up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a quick yes or no question for you all. Very simply, should we be actively calling out companies who fall short of maintaining a good culture? I think no, they'll, they'll call themselves out. <laughs> good answer. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, you know, because in my head, I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> absolutely yes we should and then but then i thought well actually you're you're absolutely right because if you're not looking after that part of your business that's going to catch up with you yeah ultimately in the end whether that's because you can't now find any good people that can come into your organization because the reputation is just too short and let's face it with the likes of Glassdoor and the like you know people can leave reviews about their work experience with you yeah. now you know, and you could, it's like TripAdvisor, I suppose it's very uh, subjective and it's very 
in the moment it might not be a true reflection of what you're doing but actually you should still worry about that you should still concern yourself about the fact that if somebody's going to walk out of my business because we failed them somehow then that should be more of a concern to you than yeah. what you read on a, a you know a, a, an online forum uh, about it yeah and i think that's the thing with about culture a company can have a fantastic PR and media department and they can you know to the outside world they can put out what they like but ultimately you know if that isn't a true representative of what is what's actually happening within the business they'll get you know the, the staff will be leaving um the service yeah. won't be there you know the way you treat people absolutely reflects in the service you provide you know that's not yeah, a winning situation yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay uh, last question you'll be pleased to hear I'm not going to ask too many more mind-bending questions on a Friday evening, but how do we ensure that the collective hospitality industry are getting a good reputation for culture with the wider world? And I, I asked that question because this is something that I think we get absolutely battered for mm. in the press. And actually, it's it's one of the reasons why I, I really want to have discussions like this, because yes, of course, there are companies who don't do things well, but it doesn't it shouldn't define the industry, basically. So how do we ensure that the collective hospitality industry are getting a good reputation for culture with the wider world? I think recruiting a team of multinational individuals and people with different backgrounds, different cultures. Uh, so there's a range of representation. And what I like about some companies, what they have is they mandate courses for diversity, equality and inclusion so that everyone has more awareness and appreciate different cultures and treat people in a way that they respect because everyone um, has different perspectives. Yeah, no, I like that. Libby, any thoughts? It brought me back actually to a memory when I was offered a position as a manager in a hotel and I told my friends and the first thing they said to me was, oh, long hours, low pay. And I was like, oh, is that, right. is that a slogan? Is that, you know, is that the tagline of hospitality? And I was so frustrated. And, um, and I think the, the biggest thing we should be doing is I think it, it comes from the way we talk about our own jobs. And for example, when I was in the hotel, don't get me wrong, there were bad days. And as a manager with, with you know, staff that were my responsibility, I would talk so highly about what we were doing. You know, oh, we're doing a wedding today. You know, we're, we're making you know someone's magical day happen and we're serving this brand new menu and it was all the great stuff because mm -hmm. often and I've I've experienced it where your manager is the one that's moaning and they're the ones saying oh I've just finished my 19 hour shift and I'm exhausted and that's when the younger generation hear that and they're like I don't want to be a manager in this industry if that's what it's like and they see yeah. people exhausted and they see managers off sick and you look up to them and think that's not what I want to see so or what I want to be in my life and I think the best way that we can push the industry is by talking about it and, and, and being passionate about our jobs and not getting sucked into that negative circle of moaning about how, how you know toxic you feel or how exhausted you are I mean again don't get me wrong I've, I've been there I, I, I can sympathize with those feelings but I think we should be talking about the career prospects and the amount of crazy career paths you can take i mean here i am in sales now and i <laughs> i thought i was on a track to a general manager but here i am and i love yeah. it and i think they're the things that we should be talking about as opposed to why we left that last job because it was you know 
this happened and this happened. I think we learn from our mistakes and we learn a lot from bad experiences and it makes us who we are. And I think when you see these things that you mentioned, Phil, in the press, they're negative because it's coming from us. Unfortunately, I think you're seeing staff moan and get upset and because they're not given the help and support, it's a vicious cycle. And I really Mm. think that the way that we overcome that is by being an advocate for ourselves, an advocate for our own industry, which I think the Institute of Hospitality is just doing perfectly um, because we're constantly speaking about it. We're doing the events, we're going out and and being an advocate for who we are and what we're passionate about. And I think that's how you spread that culture and that more positive message. Yeah, well, and you've just made your play for a free membership upgrade with that comment. Robert, I love that. Hint, <laughs> <laughs> hint. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, I, I, that's. I think what you just said there is. Is I, I mean, I couldn't really have put it any better myself, to be honest. Uh, the uh, Zoe, do you have anything to add to to those wonderful words? <laughs> I think our I think our reputation has moved on leaps and bounds. But yeah, we've still got we've still got some work to do. And I think you know we're in competition now with so many new industries. You know, there's new sort of sectors coming to play all the time and um you know hospitality is seen as a more traditional sector we've just really got to we've got to get the word out that you know there there is nothing wrong with our culture that you know there's it's these are great environments to work within but also you know this is a really exciting progressive industry you know i think yeah and we have absolutely all of us in it have got to play our part in spreading the word you know there is got a lot of work to, work to do there I think that's a great point. I think, you know, we all, all of us who are passionate about this industry have got to take responsibility for, you know, and I, I often say in any form that I've ever had a discussion on this topic, you know, the the place to start is to look after your own house, you know, and yeah. just make sure that what you're doing is the best it can be. And when you get something wrong, fix it. And, you know, don't just let things slide and all of these things and if ever you're in any doubt as to how good your reputation is out there in the marketplace as a, as a place to go work just engage with the recruiter that you work with and they will give you well they should give you an honest appraisal as to what's good and what's not and that's if we come back all the way back to the beginning that's the first step first somebody's first experience of your organization is generally you know that application process and and the interview process and all of that so Get these simple things right to start with, and um, and you should see, you know, the opportunity for your culture to flourish. And I think, on that bright note, we can call it a day. So I thank you so much to all of you guys for everything you said today. I'd, I'd love this subject. I could talk endlessly about it. I tried my best not to, but um, <laughs> no, couldn't help it in me the end. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wish you all a, a very pleasant evening ahead and uh, and thanks so much for your input great thank you phil thank you very much thank you take care guys thanks everyone take care everyone bye I'm in. today's episode of i'm in was brought to you by caterer.com and savoy educational trust and covered I'm culture with libby mia aih alan tang mih zoe watts fih and hosted I'm by me phil street fih a big thank you to the IOH's very own Sonia Cresswell MIH for artwork and branding and Leon Williams FIH for the music. To say I'm in and feature on a future episode, contact phil.street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family, please click the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We wish you an amazing festive period and beyond and join us in January when we'll have a packed schedule of podcasts for you.